And now, Unplugged, a CCVO podcast with David Mitchell. Last fall, Mayor Nahed Nenshi was elected for a third consecutive term as Mayor of Calgary. During the election campaign, he promised, if re-elected, to participate in a bear pit session with the nonprofit sector he knows so very well. CCBO complied and organized an evening with Mayor Nenshi. And here's how we got the ball rolling with a packed audience eagerly awaiting the bear pit. And the microphones become handy. Thank you all for coming. Let me just uh, give you some context for why we're here and why we're so delighted to have Mayor Nenshi with us. Uh, last fall, during the municipal election campaign, CCBO hosted a mayoral forum. It was ridiculous. It, it was a wonderful event. For those of you who were in the room, it was beautifully organized. <laughs> the content was ridiculous. Um, yeah, there was some embarrassment there, but but um, but our mayor. I said a dirty word, <laughs> which I never do. Our mayor did a very good job. During which, unsolicited, he offered that if he should be so fortunate as to be reelected, he would like to have a bear pit session with the nonprofit community here in Calgary. Uh, what a wonderful offer! Um, promise fulfilled. Thank here you. We are. Thank you. Promise fulfilled. Now, um, in order to attend this event, uh, everyone here in the room registered, and when they registered, they had an opportunity to identify some issues, some questions that they would like to uh, raise uh, with you, Mayor Nenshi. And uh, we had a, a really broad, diverse um, range of questions and comments that came in. We, we arranged them, though, very naturally, we thought, under three broad categories. Collaboration, economic recovery, and inclusion. These are the three broad categories that each and every question or comment fit into. I believe that that's likely to be a, a bit of a frame for tonight's uh, conversation. The spirit of this evening's conversation is um, we want to hear as much as possible from uh, folks that are here tonight. I think most of them are prepared to ask questions, make comments. We are going to take them in a few moments. I'm going to start off by asking a few questions. And the spirit of the evening, I think, based on the questions that have come in and the conversations that have preceded tonight, are not what, or not only what can the city do for the nonprofit sector, but in the spirit of JFK, what can the sector do for the city? It goes both ways. And that uh, really struck me as a, a very dominant theme of uh, the questions and comments that came forward. So, when um, I, I'm going to ask the mayor a few questions on the, some of the themes that have come in, then I'm going to open it up to you. We have microphones that will be passed out. You simply have to raise your hand. And in the spirit of a bear pit, uh, we're going to take uh, questions and comments in small clusters of two or three at a time. And so I'm giving uh, you all advance notice of that uh, because uh, I want you to be on the ready when we move into that major portion of the evening. Let me start, Mayor Nenshi, by telling you that we had a number of questions of a general nature that focused on about the, the role of nonprofits in the city and how you see that. And here's a question that's related to that. How can you or we 
increase the opportunities for Calgary's nonprofits to bring the wealth of knowledge and insight that they have about trends and issues in our community to the city's policy-making processes. Great. Well, let me just start by saying thank you all so much for taking the time uh, and being here with me tonight. Uh, I, uh, when I suggested this uh, back during the election, I thought that I can wear all three of my hats, which is very uncommon for me. Uh, so you can ask me questions as Mayor Nenshi. You can ask me questions as Professor Nenshi, the guy who used to teach nonprofit management. Uh, or you can ask me questions as Consultant Nenshi, the guy who used to work for many of you uh, with specific questions, and uh, those will even be free for you. So, so they were always free. I never made any money um, in that role. So, uh, so I'm thrilled to have that kind of conversation with all of you today to talk really about how the nonprofit sector works in the city and what we can continue to do uh, to be able to work together better. So when I first became mayor all those years ago, I had a class of elementary students uh, at City Hall School in my class recently, and one of in my in my office, I mean, recently. And one of the questions was from little kid, "How long have you been mayor?" And I said, "Gee, almost eight years." And he looked at me and said, that's longer than I've been alive. <laughs> and then I crawled under my desk. Um, but all those years ago, uh, one of the things I really wanted to do was really increase the collaboration, the two-way collaboration between us and the sector, because that question, I think, is a really smart one, which is we really need to be able to understand from your expertise and from your knowledge of what are the issues? What are the things we need to be focused on? What are the solutions that work? And, you know, I always say that I believe in, it's very uh, unfashionable these days, but I believe in data-driven governance. I believe in good data and good information uh, to help us guide decisions. And that means that we have to, but I have a different view of what that means to be an expert. So, you know, I'm, I'm a nut, for example, about public transit. I just love transit. Whenever I travel, I figure out to the chagrin of whoever I'm traveling with how to take transit to and from the airport uh, and figure out how people are doing their commute, how people are moving around. I just, I'm, I'm, if, I, if I were living in Edinburgh, I'd probably be a train spotter without all that other stuff. Um, and I have a whole bunch of colleagues who know a lot about buses and trains. They know how to build lines, they know how to drive buses, they know about fare optimization, and they know about marketing, though when I saw the new rapid transit map, uh, I question how much they know about marketing. Um, I, I one, of, one of the new lines is the magenta line, and I feel like no one actually knows what color magenta is. Anyone? See? <laughs> pinky purpley? But they didn't want to call it the pinky purpley line for some reason. Anyway. All those experts, they're not really the expert in public transit. Who's the expert in public transit? The person who takes the bus every day, right? She can tell us how the system works, how it doesn't work, what the irritations are, what you can do to make it better. And so it's important that we reach out to people with real experience. You know, we're working currently on a refresh of Calgary's economic development strategy. And I got really about one of the recent drafts because I looked at it and I said, this does not reflect the reality of the way people live their lives in Calgary. This reflects the reality of the people who were in the room in downtown Calgary at 5 o'clock on a Thursday. 
And I think it's incredibly important for us to be able to understand how people are living their lives and what sorts of things are happening, what poverty traps, for example, people find themselves in, and what our role is in order to make sure that that, you've, all, you've heard me say this a million times, that very basic promise of our community, that everybody gets the opportunity to live a great life here. And what are the barriers that are preventing us from doing that? So to, to live, you know, I'm just gonna answer each question for an hour, if that's okay. <laughs> oh, maybe, no. I, maybe I can actually get to the answer. So we've been very deliberate over time in figuring out what these connections are and figuring out how we share this information. So I see Franco in the audience, for example, and I think that uh, it'd be enough for all poverty reduction strategy uh, is a really good example of that. You know, it was a very, very important initiative for me when I first became mayor. It was one of the very first things we did because we needed to have a municipal poverty reduction strategy. And we created the steering committee and the only criteria to be on the steering committee were you have to be smart and you have to care. And so we brought people from a very wide uh, swath of lived experience, a very wide swath of expertise into that room. We developed the strategy in conjunction with the United Way. And then the city could have taken it over and the city could have said, this is our strategy and we deliberately didn't do that. And we went to Vibrant Communities Calgary and said, you need to be the community steward because there has to be this two-way conversation and we'll fund you for it but there has to be a two-way conversation in terms of how we can implement the strategy on the ground every single day. And so those are the kinds of examples of work that we need to continue doing. Melanie, are you here? Okay, so that's Melanie. Uh, and Lori is next to her. Perfect, they're both here. So Melanie is our, have you started on your job yet? So Melanie is the new acting director of Calgary Neighborhoods, uh, taking over for Katie Black, who has gone off to, oh, she's gone off, it sounds like, she has gone off in many ways, who is taking on, a, who is taking off an even bigger role uh, at the city for a little while, and Melanie has stepped in, which is great. And Lori Kerr has a new job as well. She is the manager of the Office of Parks. Did I get that right? Uh, in Calgary neighborhoods. And the reason they're here in their entire job is to help us make sure that we are plugged in and you are plugged in to the work that the city does. And I have to say that the city of Calgary is really way better um, David sent me a, uh, a new document from the City of Toronto about how we were, how they work with nonprofits. And I kind of flipped through it and I asked the team, you know, what are your thoughts on it? And pretty much the answer is, oh, we're way better than that already. We do much better, you know, things like our FCSS programs that have long been a partnership uh, with the sector. So we need to keep doing that. Uh, and but I also need to say that the onus is on you. So Salima over here is very good at telling me when I say something stupid about poverty. Right, um, and it's actually really important that if you think you're going in the wrong direction, or, or you think you got a really exciting insight out of the work that you're doing, of stuff that is working that we need to know about, tell us. Don't wait to be asked, uh, and make sure that we're getting that feedback in because constantly we just have to be working to build the community and make it better. That was a really long answer. No filibustering your own evening, please. <laughs> I think I just answered the next question. Thanks, but all right. But I've got uh, one that goes just a little deeper into okay. this issue, and it puts you on the spot a little bit, I think, but uh, here's a question that was asked by uh, an audience member. In the face of city budget constraints and the need to prioritize spending, what specific community or social service-focused funding and programs would you rank as priorities? Oh, it's a really important question. So 
As you know, the city of Calgary has not gone through a period of austerity because our citizens have not been asking for that, but we've certainly been um, doing cuts in real time uh, over the last several years. As part of that, it's been incredibly important to Council that we preserve the funding to nonprofit organizations. This happens every single year at budget when we say, all right, everyone's taking a 1% cut. It always happens on the, on the floor of Council, say, except for the partnerships, except for FCSS. Because we know, we know very well uh, how incredibly lean many of your organizations are. Snow removal, believe it or not, public transit, and funding to nonprofit organizations. That's it. Um, actually, there's one more. Sorry, it's a really important one. It's a really, really important one. The low-income transit pass. That's it. And so we have um, really worked hard to try and preserve those. And as you know, for many years, the province of Alberta was not keeping up with its cost-sharing uh, commitment to FCSS. And the city stepped in and funded FCSS at a higher level than we were supposed to just because we didn't want the nonprofit organizations to be left holding the bag. And so we will continue to do that. I will continue to protect and preserve that amount of funding, even in tough times, um, with our city budget. And I'm hopeful that this coming year that council will agree with me on three investments in service. Public transit again. Uh, because we'll be launching the bus rapid transit system this fall. Um, the public library. And finally, uh, an increase after many years to our arts and culture programs. And so that is, you know, these are core priorities for the city and they're things that we have to preserve and work on. I wish we were in an investment cycle. It'd be way easier to be mayor when you're just building lots of stuff. We are building lots of stuff, but when you're building lots of programs and lots of services. But even in times that are tough, we've worked hard to try and preserve that core funding for the nonprofit sector, and I will continue to fight for that because I think that the work that you do is important and you leverage dollars way better than we could uh, at the city. So we'll continue to do that. Just yesterday, um, City Council approved what we call our indicative tax rates, which are not finalized but give the city administration some instruction on how to move forward and essentially council said we got to at least keep up with inflation so the times of real cuts is not wh where we want to be over the next four years so that should give us it's not going to give us huge investment but it'll give us a bit of breathing room very good Lynch, i have one more question i'm going to ask you before opening it up to the audience and it's on an issue that's been much in the news lately a possible olympic bid for 2026 and the question is how would the discussion of a possible Olympic bid be different if Calgary already had a well-respected, multi-sectoral, professional capacity for strategic foresight that was trusted? What an interesting framing of that question. Uh, I would argue that, of course, we do have that. But it's an interesting question, and I think that you will find it. Um, you'll find this interesting because... The discussion around the Olympics, I don't mind admitting, uh, in many ways has gone badly off the rails. But the reason it went badly off the rails
models, and whoever wrote that question, I like that thinking, is precisely because that's what we were trying to do. And so many people would say to me, if you were a better politician, then on a big project like this, you would have gotten a 13 to 2 vote a year and a half or two and a half years ago saying we're bidding on the Olympics. Then a whole bunch of people would have gone away and done a whole bunch of work and a beautiful gift wrapped box would have been presented to the public saying this is our Olympic bid and this is what it's going to look like. And people would have gone, that's pretty exciting. And you know, if you were a really, really good politician, you would have revealed that gift wrapped box right at the end of Pyeongchang. You would have got Tessa and Scott on a stage talking about it with you and it would have been awesome. Unfortunately, I'm not a very good politician. And I very deliberately created a process that was different than what any other bid city has ever done. And it was that we would have the entire discussion in public. And so all you've seen over the last couple years is every blemish, every misstep, every step forward, every three steps forward, every two steps backward have all been in public. And that has led to this narrative that, oh, this thing is kind of a shambles. Or as I keep saying, when you make your sausage in public, sometimes people don't want to eat it. So, and it's really led to, so it's a big lesson for me too as, as a leader, as an organizational leader, it's a big lesson for me too that it allows cynics and critics to engage in what I call ankle biting. So I'm sure ne this never happens in any of your organizations. That if one little thing goes wrong, suddenly the entire organization is focused on what went wrong instead of the big picture of what you're trying to do together. Never happens to you, right? And so for better or for worse, and I take full responsibility for it because it really was me, the process that I created really allowed space for people to tear down rather than build up. And is that necessarily a bad thing? Because does it actually allow people to express their true feelings? Uh, I certainly think that it's better than what we were, what our alternative was, which is to do it all behind closed doors. But certainly there are huge dangers to that. And I think all of you as organization leaders have to make that decision every day. How much empowerment? How much inclusion? How far do we go? What is the point at which all of that inclusion is preventing us from reaching our goals? And are our goals wrong if inclusion is preventing us from reaching them? These are tough questions. Uh, and I think they're questions that we need to reflect upon in a very thoughtful way. But the premise of the question, I think, is exactly opposite, which is because we've got that strong community, we decided to do this out front in the community. And for better or for worse, we'll see how that plays out. Now, if you really want to talk about the Olympics and the costs and benefits of the Olympics, I'm happy to have that conversation. But th that question was much more interesting than that. It was indeed. And a number of people here in the audience attended CCBO's Connections Conference recently, including some of the city staff, uh, where Adam Kahane spoke about collaborating with the enemy. The book is on my desk, <laughs> but I am scared to read it. Yeah, it, it, um, it's more provocative than it sounds, but one of the, his messages was there may be times when collaboration is not the right answer and not the right approach, when in the absence of a consensus, it's necessary might the uh, possible Olympic bid be one of those cases? I mean, maybe. 
fundamentally, the, the, the point of the Olympics is it has to be a deal that makes sense for Calgary. And I don't just mean in straight dollars and cents, but overall, financial, social, environmental costs must be less than the environmental, social, and financial benefits. And if there's no deal there, there's no deal there. So we walk away. Um, but at some point, I also need the oxygen to try and make the deal and to try and figure out what that looks like. And that's what you're always balancing off, right? So, you know, we got into this bizarre situation this week where last week council decided to move forward with the Olympic bid and to set up a council subcommittee to manage it precisely so that some of this oxygen could be given to the process and we would be able to actually do some work before we came back to full council uh, for big public debates. And immediately, for the last week, council's been obsessed with the debate of who should sit on the committee. And of course, the answer to who should sit on the committee was make the committee bigger. So the committee is now half of council. And you know, one of the arguments was, you don't have enough skeptics on the committee. And I said, well, you absolutely need people to ask good questions. But if you have someone whose whole point is they want to stop this process, then why do I want them on the committee doing the work? They can stop the process once they see the work the committee did. And so in this case, this committee, I'm telling you now, it's gonna be hard to make this work because this is one of those cases where there are time and place for collaboration and consensus and there's times and place to get the work done and present it for that collaboration or that consensus. And in my job, if I waited until I had a 15 to nothing vote on everything, nothing would get done. And don't get me wrong, the city council, the vast majority of the decisions we make, you'd never know this from reading the newspaper, the vast majority of the decisions we make are unanimous. But, you know, and there's 15 of us on council, so there's a, the vast majority are 15 to nothing votes. If you read our minutes, it just says carried. And when it says carried, it means nobody opposed it. And, but beyond that, we have everything from 15 to nothing to eight to seven to 14 to one sometimes, but in all directions. Uh, and one of the gr things I love about my council is it's totally unpredictable. So if you have an eight to seven vote, it's almost never the same eight to the same seven. Uh, almost in every meeting, we've got a completely different mix. And I think that's great because these are human beings who are grappling with difficult problems and trying to figure things out. But the one thing I always say to my council members, uh, this particular council has not been quite so good about it as previous ones, is once the decision is made, the decision is made. And we all own it. And I have stood in front of cameras innumerable times defending a decision of council that I voted against. And it would be easy for me to say, well, I, 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 playground zones, nine o'clock, what a dumb idea. It's 14 to one vote, by the way, I was the one and it is a dumb idea, but, but instead I have to say this is council's will, this is why they made this decision, and this is the benefits that we feel will accrue from it. And so, you know, I think in our sector, I still call it our sector, in our sector that striving for consensus all the time is often an excuse for what I call work avoidance, because we love to talk. And if we could just have 10 more meetings to discuss this, maybe we'd get to consensus instead of just freaking doing it. And so as organizational leaders, I think always that's our job is to figure out where is the line between those things. 
Very good. Thank you for that. And good luck. In the middle of the evening with Mir Nenshi, we realized that we had forgotten an important feature of most public gatherings today, an acknowledgement that we were meeting on the traditional lands of Indigenous peoples. With only a little encouragement, Mernenshi provided an impromptu acknowledgement in his own heartfelt and poetic manner. Obviously, Mayor Nenshi is both passionate and knowledgeable about the nonprofit sector, and his willingness to be accountable to the community was noted, including requests for more bear pit sessions in the future. I'm David Mitchell, and you've been listening to Unplugged, a CCVO podcast.